Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. We have Michael Goodwin, of course, the Pulitzer Prize winning New York Post columnist. Uh, Michael, um, we're talking about, of course, uh, Glenn Young, and we had the pleasure of being with him. Uh, John had an amazing, amazing lunch today. Well, first of all, what are your thoughts on Glenn Young before we get into it with you? Well, I'm only regretful that I wasn't invited. I mean, I was. <laughs> Did you buy a book, one of his best-selling book yet, or no? How to make I a million? Not, no. I have not. But but it is interesting that he's making the tour, and uh, you know, obviously testing the waters to see about running. Uh, you know, this is uh, in part because Virginia has this crazy rule of only one term for a governor. You can't have a second term. And so the minute you're elected, you're something of a lame duck. And so he's out there, I think, looking for his next job. I thought he was I thought he ran an excellent campaign. It was an important victory uh, when he defeated uh, Terry McAuliffe. And I think that the, the lasting legacy of that race is school choice, is parents matter and that you run the risk of you know, losing an election if you take the Terry McAuliffe position that it's up to teachers to decide what happens in the classroom. I mean, that that's, uh, that might have worked at another era, but it doesn't work today. Yeah, it was that one debate moment. I mean, everybody remembers that moment where, remember, Terry McAuliffe said, uh, well, guess what? Um, basically, that, um, you know, no parents don't have a say. You know, by the way, there was a huge headline today in the Washington Post, and I want to talk with you about that. Um, there was a story about basically the, like, tangle, the private behind the scenes between the FBI and the DOJ. This is on the raid of Mar-a-Lago. I got to get your take on this. And apparently the FBI really didn't want to do it. They kept delaying the raid over and over again. Uh, what does that say to you about the politics of it? And, and also, it's been fascinating. I don't know if you saw, Michael, um, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, came out yesterday and also said, yeah, it's likely a Wuhan lab leak. It's like the FBI is getting out there like I've never seen them kind of go on record in the last 24, 48 hours. Well, uh, you use the word politics of it, and I, that is that's the problem that this is political, that the FBI, DOJ, I mean, there are elements of politics now that seem to have swamped everything else. And it, this is, you know, you can't have a little bit of politics. It's, it's, it's like putting dye in water. I mean, pretty soon the whole, the whole bathtub is full, full of the dye, the same color everywhere. And I think that's what's happened to the FBI slash Justice Department. It has become politicized. When you read about this memo uh, going after uh, conservative Catholics because they're a threat for uh, white supremacy, I mean, who's making this stuff up? And it, it just it goes back to Peter Strzok. 
right? Peter Strzok and uh, all of those who are sending these memos and during the during the 2016 campaign and afterwards. I mean, a totally politicized DOJ slash FBI is terrible for the country. And and when you think of the Hunter Biden case, so the FBI has had his lap laptop since 2018, late 2018 or 19. And here we are in 2023 and still no charges, no resolution. Now, to me, on its face, that is politics. By the way, did you see, uh, Michael, it just came out. We were talking about it right before the show here that Grassley came out today in the big hearing and basically said there are about a dozen sources who have reported potential criminal activity with Hunter Biden. To your point, it sounds like Grassley is really going full throttle. He says these are whistleblowers within like FBI and DOJ. Well, that's right. And then Josh Hawley was was questioning Merrick Garland about uh, the, the raid, the armed raid on a on a father, uh, a, a Christian father, pro-life for demonstrating outside of an abortion clinic. I mean, an armed raid with his with his family and everything. They put him on trial. He's acquitted in an hour. Uh, and this is this is the government now. This is the armed part of the government you to intimidate protesters to intimidate parents um this is this is serious stuff and merrick garland uh acts like this astute by the books lawyer in fact he's presiding over uh, a corrupt justice department that is now doing the bidding of the far left i mean this is a monumental event because if you if you Think about recent history in the 60s and 70s. The far left hated the government, hated the Justice Department, hated law enforcement, hated the FBI. Now they're in cahoots to do things like go after parents who complain about a woke agenda in their schools, to have an armed raid uh, on, a, on a man who dared to protest outside of an abortion clinic. I mean, th- these are, this is frightening stuff. Michael, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. You had a great column about a great documentary. The documentary is called Gotham, The Fall and Rise of New York City. And I know you attended the premiere. I was at the, the premiere. Why don't you tell our audience about your column and about that documentary and why it's so important? Well, it, it's uh, as you said, Richard, it's uh, it's really about the the rise, the fall of New York back in the 70s, 80s and early 90s and the rise over the succeeding 20 years under Giuliani and Bloomberg. And I, I think that the purpose of this was to capture this event. It's really a 50 year event. When you think about it, it goes back to John Lindsay when the murder rate tripled. Uh, and all the way through Bloomberg. And the, the point uh, of, the, of the man who conceived of it, Larry Moan, formerly the head of the Manhattan Institute, was that a lot of people, he said, don't understand what happened. But more importantly, they don't understand why and how it happened. And so he wanted to capture this historic event, this turnaround of New York. And the statistics uh, bear bear re- repeating simply because they are so incredible. For example, 
1993, the, the year that Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor, but of course he takes office in January of 94. In 1993, there were about 2,000 murders in New York. Four years later, that number was down to 770 or so. I mean, that is an amazing change in one term. I think that may be the single most important term uh, in modern New York history. I think Ed Koch had an excellent first term as well. But I think this first term of Giuliani's, it turned the tide and it made people think that this is possible and it can be done. And he went on and then Bloomberg sort of picks up the mantle and you have – uh, improvements in education, primarily the, the, the birth of the charter school movement in New York City, and you have the reduction in welfare. Uh, you know, Giuliani and Richard Swartz, I think many of you know Richard, uh, was very helpful in all of this. And Richard talks often about how when Giuliani came in, there were 1.2 million families on welfare out of about 7 million people in the city, 1.2 million families. And the Dinkins administration had left projections that it would rise to 1.5 million families. And by the time Bloomberg finished, it was under 300,000. Yeah, Michael, uh, this is Rudy Washington. I want to give this some context. Uh, Chicago has two and a half million people. Uh, Last year, their murder rate was over 700, I think 740. Um, New York is really probably around nine, 9 million people. Um, I did the 2000 census, and that was 8.2. Right. But since then, the next one was 8.5. And I think we're really 9 million people. And, and the, you know, be down around 300 or so murders compared to Chicago, which is 2.5 million people with over 700 murders. Um, that, that, that is some contrast. Yes, and, and, and you're right, Rudy, and, and cities like Philadelphia even and Baltimore, I mean, the, the murder rate per capita is off the chart. And, I mean, and, and uh, you mentioned Baltimore. They don't have a high school, not one high school where someone is reading or writing at grade level. Not one person. I mean, so that, that says nobody from Baltimore is going to go to college. Yeah. I mean, no, th- th- these are collapsing uh, structures of, of these cities. I mean, no, you know, high crime, poor schools. I mean, everybody who can leave does. I have a niece who lives in Baltimore and she's leaving. She said it's just she can't. She's afraid to park her car. She doesn't you know, it's just hard to get anywhere around town uh, because you, you don't feel safe. So oh, we know Michael, it's Richard again. But we know what to do. You look at the documentary. When Peter Vallone created Safe Street, Safe City and forced it down David Dinkins' throat to get the cops on the street, we knew what to do. We needed to have the perception and reality of more police protection. And when Giuliani came in, he knew what to do with that army with Jack Maples. The lessons are very clear, Michael, what to do to save New York City and all the other cities. Except, you know, what's happening, Judge. I, I was going to bring this up. This is amazing. One of the headlines today, 300 protesters, right, are getting $21,000 each because the New York City Council believes that they were abused by police. It's going to cost about $7 million. And there they is, wonder why the police didn't show up for the mass. Is that crazy? That's yeah, insane. No, listen, let's be clear. There's no, there is no constitutional right to riot. Let's be clear on that. 
It's outrageous. Are you right. talking the 2020 riots? I'm talking the 2020 riots. Oh These God. are the people in the, quote, summer of love who are burning the city down and burning cities across the country. They are getting paid $7 million. I hope, the mayor, I, I hope the mayor rejects it and vetoes it. And let's see who overrules him. Yeah, isn't that, you know what's amazing, John? The New York City Council was upset that the police didn't show up for the hearing on it, saying, how dare they not show up? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Listen, I think uh, to, to Richard's point and, and Rudy, too, we know how to do this. I mean, that that's the, the point, the final point I wanted to make about the film. Uh, we know how to do this. We know how it was done. We know the ingredients that, that got it done. Uh, we have lost our way, however. I mean, I think Mayor Adams is making some progress, but there's still too much crime and disorder in the city. And it's going to be harder now to persuade people to stay because of the remote workability. Uh, and so now you're, now you're faced with how do you get people back to the city? And if the subways aren't safe, if the commuter lines are not reliable, if the, everything is too hot, too expensive, too dangerous when you get to Penn Station or somewhere else, there's so many factors now, I think, that complicate the role that Mayor Adams has in trying to bring the city back, that crime, but crime is still the cornerstone. And, and I'll repeat just quickly, in 1993, I was the editorial page editor of the Daily News, and we had endorsed uh, Giuliani for the mayoralty, but he came in to see us uh, just days before the election. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, look, statistics are very important about crime, he was talking. He, Don't get me wrong, crime statistics matter a lot. He said, but what matters even more is how people feel. Do people feel safe? And that has always stuck with me. And that's the real gauge that I think a politician has to go by. And so Eric Adams should not be satisfied or think that it mission accomplished no, nobody, because nobody the feels safe. have gone down. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, Kathy Hochul talking about a whole bunch of interesting tax hikes and who better to join us here on Katz and Cosby to talk about all of it is Grover Norquist. He is the president of Americans for Tax Reform, one of the great tax experts out there. And uh, Grover, this is Rita Cosby with John, the great John Katzmatidis, best-selling author, by the way, and also still in the studio we have with us Judge Richard Weinberg, also Ed Cox, former New York State GOP chairman, and Rudy Washington, related to George Washington, uh, deputy mayor of New York City under then Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Grover, um, take it away in, in terms of what you think is ahead for New York State, and where are some of the, the perilous points, especially with MTA? Well, uh, New York's planning on spending, according to Hoko, uh, about $227 billion. Florida, which has more people now, right? New York, 20 million, Florida, 22. 
New York's the, the Florida budget that uh, DeSantis just put forward is 114 billion dollars, like half this, as much. Mr. Norquist, you forget one more one more thing. We're sitting yeah. in New York City, so it's two two forty for the state and another hundred for the city. We're sitting in a we're sitting in a studio here. It's three hundred and forty billion. Uh, yeah. And the question is, uh, what services do you get in New York? Do you think the schools are better in New York than Florida? The schools, so the, the schools are not doing well. And we'll have Randy Rosen, uh, uh, Weingarten. Weingarten on at 545 today. And in uh, safety wise, we're in deep crap. Right. And here's here's the challenge. This can't continue. People will speed up moving from New York and Minnesota and California and New Jersey, because not only is New York looking at, you know, spending too much money, you're not even bringing the spending down from the overspending of, of COVID days. You guys are built, according to Hochul, the plans are to build on that. I'm looking at a couple of these plans she has. Um, already today in New York State, more than half of all cigarettes are sold on the black market. So nobody pays any state or city cigarette uh, taxes, tobacco taxes in New York on half of those. In the city, it's more closer to 80 percent, people think. Um, and she wants to raise cigarette taxes by another dollar, which the last time they did that, the state lo- and the city lost more money than they did the other way around. Also wants to ban menthol cigarettes. I'm originally, before I moved to the United States, um, I uh, lived in Massachusetts. There, a couple of years ago, they banned menthol cigarettes. What happened? I the thought Massachusetts was part of America. <laughs> it, you, you haven't visited. You haven't visited recently. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had to wait and, and do the whole visa thing to get into the country. It was. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was worth the effort. Yeah. Um, so in Massachusetts, right back back in Massachusetts, in the old country. Um, they raised, they, they banned menthol cigarettes, so then nobody's going to smoke menthol. Well, actually not. Uh, they did lose $10 million a month in taxes in Massachusetts. People can go to New Hampshire and other states. Smoking went up. Menthol cigarette smoking went up. Um, so everything they said was going to happen didn't. So it's not only that, you know, the government shouldn't be pushing people around. They shouldn't be incompetently pushing people around either. Um so there are a number of these taxes, the, the, the payroll taxes that uh, Hoka wants to hike by $800 million, raising the minimum wage to 21 All of these things make life in New York City more expensive. And, you know, the difference, people do move to Florida and, and Texas and Tennessee, no income tax. But I can tell you from traveling around the country this year and last year, there are 10 additional states, not the eight states, in addition to the eight states that have no personal income tax, there are another 10 states en route to zero. Kentucky's en route to zero already. Mississippi is now. Our friends in North Dakota are going to 1.5 and then down uh, from there. Iowa had a top rate of 8.6, not that different from New York. In four years, it's going to be 3.9. And their corporate rate was 12. And it's, going, it's already down to 7. So Iowa is dramatically reducing its taxes. They're planning to go to zero after the four years when they can get that down. Arizona has gone to 2%, 2.5% is the personal income tax in Arizona. They're looking to go to zero as well. And um, California, Illinois, and, and uh, New York are going to raise their taxes. 
they are, and that just means. And the other one is add to um, the lower taxes, city and state taxes so, in the red states. Add to that, ten of them have education savings accounts now. So if you have kids, you have school choice and some money to exercise your school choice in ten states and soon Texas uh, and Arkansas. So Grover uh, Ed Cox here. Uh, yeah, hey. the, uh, getting back to the MTA. So to save the MTA, there's going to thing called congestion pricing. What do you think of congestion pricing? Uh, and I guess they have it in London. Does it really work here? It's another effort at um, social engineering using taxes. I thought it had something to do with uh, too much phlegm in your, uh, in your system. But uh, congestion pricing is just another way of putting a tax on people's behavior and they will decide to li- not everybody moves but the people who do move don't come back yeah wow uh grover you are terrific we really appreciate you having with us uh joining us here on cats and cosby uh the president of americans for tax reform uh who knows taxes better than anybody grover thanks so much thank you rita it's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we've got Dr. Mark Siegel, who, by the way, has been traveling himself. Uh, he was just in Ohio this week, the scene of that terrible toxic train derailment. Uh, Dr. Siegel, of course, uh, the great Fox News doctor. Uh, we love having you here on the show. Thank you so much. You know, I bet Casamitidis is going to say that this town of East Palestine is being overlooked because it's a Republican, and I'm going to agree with him because the federal response has been atrocious, and the state response, which I don't understand, has been atrocious. And I was just there, and the people there are worried, they're suffering. And when I went there, by the way, I thought this is going to end up being about anxiety. It's not. There's anxiety, uh, plenty of anxiety, but it's actually about real chemicals. I mean, when I drove in there on Monday morning at 4.30 in the morning, I, I opened the window and I said, what's that smell? It didn't pass the smell test there. I mean, it still smells like smoke and chemicals, and they're still trying to figure out what to do with over a million gallons of, of contaminated water and 15,000 pounds of soil. That's going to get a lot worse. People are coming to me. I interview people that are having, you know, irritated eyes and sore throats and and uh, lung problems, especially if they have pre-existing conditions. One woman I interviewed that has emphysema, it got a lot worse. Every time she comes into town to go to a pharmacy, her emphysema gets worse. Another guy w- makes gravestones and has been exposed to silicon and has pulmonary fibrosis, which got worse after this train derailment. And another woman lives right by the street where they were working on what they're calling there. By the way, the town is calling it an uncontrolled burn, not a controlled burn. Has problems with bronchitis as a result and families in the area. There's people getting sick and they don't know where to go. And and they're being told different things by different doctors and the health officials are there, but they, they, half the time there's not a doctor there. What a mess. This is another 9-11 in terms of the long-term health impact. Wow, that's really powerful. Uh, Rudy Washington, you got a question? Yeah, you know, I, I've been wondering what the insurance coverage of this company was. And, and my fear is, is that, and maybe, Ed, I know you may do some legal work in that area. 
what are we talking about? A big multi billion dollars in coverage for transporting that company? Enough insurance to cover this. And my fear is that they file bankruptcy. Sure. And and leave these people high and dry. Yeah. You know, um, and the government should step in. Dr. Siegel, have you seen FEMA yet? You know who I did see was CDC, and I have a weak spot for CDC because I have a very good relationship with them and the 16,000 scientists there that are working really hard. They've, they've taken a big, heavy hit during the pandemic, and I'm, I'm always for the underdog. And I met with their lead on the ground there, uh, Captain Shugart, who has been fought Ebola in Africa, who has fought, uh, she was in Katrina, and she said to me that they're really carefully tracking the first responders. And that means to me that it's another 9-11, because after 9-11, that ended up being a huge deal, that the first responders were just given surgical masks, which weren't sufficient. You guys know this whole story. A lot of lung disease results, cancer down the line. When you're tracking first responders, you're worried about everybody in the area. CDC is late to the to the situation here, coming in three weeks late. Again, that's not the fault of Captain Shugart on the ground there. They were in Pennsylvania, then they were in East Palestine. They're going to be picking up and getting more clinics, but I would have liked to see this at the very beginning, and I bet everybody on the radio with me now agrees with that. Dr. Siegel, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. So, what should be done? Should there be a mass evacuation of town and then a cleanup? Should people really be staying there? They tell them the water is safe to drink, to brush your teeth, to shower. The air is fit to breathe. That's not true. We know that. Sir, I didn't feel that it was. I mean, I was there. You know, I'll tell you, uh, I I brought masks with me to wear indoors because I'm a mask. I'm still a mask guy. John doesn't like that. But I should have been wearing them outdoors, not indoors, because outdoors. I I mean, I didn't have that much exposure. But yeah. And, you know, there's people I spoke to. They're afraid to bring their kids back. There, There are people that have their kids there and their kids have gotten sick. And I do think that it's not safe to be there right now. By the way, here's a positive note. I kept asking people, well, what are you doing here? Now, you know, part of that answer, Judge, is they don't have the money to get away from there and they want to stick by their home. But I'll tell you, the other part of the answer is positive. If the government's not helping them, there's a community spirit that is. And people are coming from all over the country, bringing water and food and supplies. There's a guy that I interviewed named Matt from Texas coming up on big trucks with pallets of water you know, as much as he can to replace the water supply so that people only have bottled water to drink. That, that is causing a great positive spirit there. Well, and you know, the other thing I also saw, Dr. Siegel, um, and I love having you on. Who did the first interview with you, Dr. Siegel? I did. Didn't I do the first interview ever? Back when I was a kid? Yes, oh, you, exactly. You were, and I was in diapers. Exactly. You're a lot younger than me, but you but you, uh, you uh, probably were yes. the first interview I ever did. I mean, that's so. You're a great interviewer, as, well, as your show every night here, So and thanks. on your own show, of course. Well, I love having you on. And, you know, I want to ask you real quick, uh, Dr. Siegel, the, um, I was saying that the EPA basically kind of came out and said that there were eight toxic chemicals um, in that plume, that's around there. Think about, I mean, this is going to be forever. They are still boiling water, I was saying, in Flint, Michigan. Think about when that happened. Well, you know, eight chemicals, but the one that everybody focused on is, is vinyl chloride. I want to tell you something that an occupational medicine expert told me yesterday, which is really smart. We got to watch the liver and we got to watch blood counts, but chances are none of that's going to show up yet. Vinyl chloride's gotten a lot of attention. What hasn't gotten enough attention and the EPA has not been testing for is dioxins, because when you burn this stuff, it turns into dioxins like an Agent Orange. That's a long-term risk of breast cancer, fertility 
credibility problems. I mean, this is a mess. This is a total mess. And to the judge's point, yes, I'd get everybody out of there. Absolutely. Now they're right away, right? Well, they did right away, but they, they put them back into no, it. They, they said everything, everything was, was swell. The water's fine. Take a shower, brush your teeth, breathe the air. It's, it's no that, problem. Everything's okay. And that's the EPA saying yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Total irresponsibility. Agree. And there's going to be lawsuits. I mean, that's for sure. But I, I mean, lawsuits against the company. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why. And of course, by the way, it, it's now a tri- uh, multiple states are involved. So by All definition, right. handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at Frank Bruno law.com that's frank bruno law.com frank bruno he's your numero uno a common sense recap of the day's biggest stories it's john katsimatidis and rita cosby cats and cosby on 77 wabc we got paul vallis on yeah, with us paul vallis on he, congratulations you uh are you gonna he won the chicago uh uh, mayor's race, you're yeah. down to two. First round. Oh, no. First round. Yeah, home run. By the way, you clobbered them, not just one. Uh, 33.7% of the vote. That was huge with nine candidates. Bravo. Yeah, yeah, but let me point out that that's only, that's only the primary. So now, now the top two candidates are in the runoff. So I don't want you to jinx me here. But no, yeah. no, we're not going to jinx <laughs> we you. We're rooting We take it back. We're looking. We, we have Father Alex praying that uh, <laughs> to save Chicago, because that's where we, he beca- began his career as a priest in he Chicago. Did. And he, and, uh, he is praying to save Chicago because Chicago deserves to be saved. Well, you know, let me point out that uh, I, I'm not so much saving Chicago as I'm I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to bring the type of leadership that can draw on the best and the brightest within Chicago, people from the community, people from diverse backgrounds, but people uh, uh, who uh, who have the skills uh, and the uh, commitment to uh, to come in and help me get the city back on track. So it's really going to be a collective effort. No, a mayor is only as good as the people he recruits and, and a mayor is only as effective uh, as his uh, as uh, as his ability to really partner with the with with the diverse communities that make Chicago so unique and so great. And everybody, we're talking to Paul Vallis. I want to make sure everybody knows big breaking news here on Cats at Night. Uh, he led the pack in the runoff and now kicked out basically uh, Lori Lightfoot. Amazing, John. Well, who's running now, uh, Paul? You have an op- uh, uh, one more uh, opposition candidate. Yeah, in in five weeks on the uh, on April fourth is is the runoff, and so I'll be running against Brandon Johnson, who is uh, uh, you know who uh, finished in second place. And, and look, you know, it wasn't so much me defeating Lori Lightfoot as much as I mean, we had nine candidates, so clearly there, you know, the election was kind of a referendum. Uh, um, you know, thumbs down on her performance, which is, which is why um, about, I think about 85, 86 percent 
of those who voted voted for someone other than her. So so it wasn't simply me, but but a number of uh, of uh, people I know and and, and um, you know a, a number of people I have. I've always had good friendships and relationships with that were also in the runoff with me. But I was fortunate enough to finish in first place by a wide margin. We have a lot of momentum. And um, and I'm hoping and praying that uh, I'll be Chicago's new mayor uh, when the uh, when the runoff occurs April 4th. Well, Paul Vallis, we're going to be praying for you. And we, uh, we anything you need from WABC in New York and our whole staff, uh, we uh, and Father Alex will be praying for you. and. Uh, <laughs> That's good and prayers. <laughs> whatever we can do to help, you're going to let us know we're going to help. And you have my cell number now. And yeah, and uh, let the New Yorkers know we got to save Chicago. Well, uh, you know, let me just tell you this. Uh, I apologize because we had an earlier miscommunication and I was actually en route. So I missed your first call. So I, I, I apologize for being tardy, but I appreciate you all calling back. I appreciate Father Alex, who I've known for God upwards. Has it been? It's been almost 50 years, almost 50 years. So now, now he had us say you're aging me. But uh, but at the end of the day, I, I, I welcome all your prayers uh, uh, to another great city, New York, uh, a city that I uh, that I loved to visit uh, when I was uh, uh, turning around schools in Philadelphia. So from Chicago to New York, uh, good luck uh, with the many challenges that you face. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And, uh, of course, one of the big stories uh, that is making tons of headlines, everybody, is the student loan debt hearing that took place on uh, Supreme Court, the steps of the Supreme Court inside the Supreme Court. Boy, it's gotten heated in all different directions. And talking about it now and joining us here on at Cats at Night, this is Rita Cosby with the great John Katzenmatidis, is Randy Weingarten. She is the president of the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, Randy, great to have you here on the show. Thank you, Rita. And thank you, John. And by the way, um, I know Brandon Johnson for the last um, decade or so. He is a fantastic community guy from Chicago. And if anybody can actually bring Chicago together, he can. I, I know. He's you know, really, I, Randy, really I have tears. Man. I have tears in my eyes for, you know, I'm involved with Pal. Uh, you know me for 40 years. I'm a, I have tears in my not, uh, in my eyes for all those young kids that are never going to yeah, have it's a... it's unbelievable. A, yes. The, the gun violence in Chicago, you know, these are my members. The gun violence in Chicago is terrible. And, you know, Paul should be commended because he made crime a big issue. But, you know, Paul, Paul is not... And just give Brandon the benefit of the doubt here. He is a charismatic, transformational young leader who ha- ran a multi-ethnic, multi-racial um, campaign and came from nowhere. No one gave him a shot. Well, and, I don't know Brandon know, at all. I don't know Brandon at all. I'll rely on your on your recommendation. Give him a shot, John. That's all I'm saying. He's not. I, I heard you. He may you be know, worse than Lightfoot. No. No. That's what I heard. No. Well, he wants. He talked about I'm, defunding the police and things like that. He did 
not talk about defunding the police. He said something at one point or another about police reform. And so, you know, what's happened is that he gets characterized just like I do. You know me. Think about Tell what us what happened in the Supreme Court. Said it. Look at what Fox said about me yesterday. It's like, you know, I'm passionate. You know how passionate I am. I'm passionate about this issue. And, you know, they're saying that I'm a ranting lunatic. So I'm just. I'm so, Randy, Randy, talk Randy about great tell, talk about the Supreme tell Court. Tell us the truth. Yeah, tell us about what happened at the Supreme so Court, is, Randy. So this is what's happening right now in terms of student debt. Donald Trump issued a moratorium on the payment of interest in terms of student debt. He basically said, okay, during COVID, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to have a moratorium so anyone who has student debt, you're not paying it right now. And all of the interest will be forgiven for this period of time. Was the first one who did this. What, what, what Biden did was he extended that uh, moratorium for a period of time. And then what he did this summer was he said, okay, we're going to lift the moratorium. But we're going to actually give people a little bit of some running room. So because they're going to have all these new debts that they have to pay and they may not have gotten jobs yet. And there's still a lot of issues with inflation and with everything else and the recovery from from COVID. So he says, let's create um, a, a $10,000 um, debt relief. Well, and we, that's all this is. Randy, and so why Randy, people are saying it shouldn't happen, who knows? You should come back on again. We'd love to have you back We'd on again. We'd love to have you on Absolutely. when we have more time. We had that emergency call from Paul Vallis, and uh, I apologize for uh, getting you on no late. Problem. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And, and you know what we all pray for? We all pray for our kids. We all pray for America. God bless America. And uh, thank you so much. What do we stand much. for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice and the American, American way. way.